The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. So, welcome to the Buddha Loka. And now, this morning, I thought to, I'll, I'll chant the, uh, let's see, put that I'll chant a gata for you and we'll see if you recognize what the theme will be today. See if you recognize this one. And this is in the Pali language, the language that the, the Buddhist suttas in the Theravada tradition they were recorded in and probably quite close to the language of the Buddha. Nabanje papake mite, Nabanje purisadame, Bajeta mite kalyane, Bajeta purisutame. Sadhu, sadhu, Now, does anybody recognize that Pali gata? There's some Pali students here. <laughs> no? Uh, he got it in one, Rajiv. That, that's it exactly. Very good. Yes, no, that was very close. You heard the Kalyana. So that's because uh, we have, don't we, the meaning. We have this word uh, the Buddha used for himself, Kalyana Mitta. And this is a spiritual friend or a spiritual guide. It's quite a nice term, actually. And uh, I'll give you the translation because it's exactly what you're saying. And this is from the Dhammapada. I'm sure many people will know this verse when I translate it. And it says, Do not associate with bad friends. That's uh, the papake mite. Mite is a friend. Um, do not associate with low friends. Associate with virtuous friends. Associate with the highest or the noble friends. So that's the translation of that, those ver that verse. So this is all about, you know, spiritual friends. And so I thought this would be a really good subject to speak about. It's an important subject. The Buddha said that, uh, and I'll mention it later, the whole of uh, the spiritual life is actually spiritual friends and spiritual guides because they, they, they set us on the path or they encourage us to practice the Noble Eightfold Path. So this is a very, a really important. So he's not saying it's half the holy life, as Venerable Ananda said. He said it's all of the, the holy life. So these spiritual friends, they're really like our role models and they give us um, a ex lived example of qualities that we can develop so this is what I will talk about today. And of course the Kalyanamitta usually is translated in English as the good friend, good friend. But in English, good friend has a lot of meanings. <laughs> and it can, a good friend's not always a virtuous person. It could be your drinking mate is a good friend or, or somebody that you go to the races with is a good friend or whatever. So, so I prefer, you know, spiritual friend because it makes it clear. And in actual fact, that's one of the translations that the, the, the most recent Pali dictionary does give, spiritual guide or spiritual friend. So it's, uh, and it's also related, Kalyana is related to beautiful as well. 
because these good qualities, these virtue, are beautiful, but also it's used in terms of physical appearance. So uh, they have, uh, in Pali, they have terms like the most beautiful girl in the country. I was trying to check up the Pali, but it's Kalyana something or other. The most beautiful girl in the country, they mention. So I was thinking, well, what, for most people, what is, and it's a very topical um, thing, spiritual friendship, Kalyana Mitta, because often we see this idea of the guru, don't we? We see the, and we see it in different traditions. It's more in the Tibetan tradition. It certainly comes from the Hindu tradition, the idea of a guru. This is somebody that one um, totally obeys. That's the idea, anyway. <laughs> and they have this, what we call love, devotion, and surrender, I think was one of the songs that I remember from my youth, which is sort of on the theme of the guru. And the guru is seen to be an emanation of, of the Buddha, of God, and so this is a sort of um, teaching, this sort of an approach that the Buddha did not encourage. <laughs> he did not encourage the idea of the guru um, because uh, people blindly believe in a guru. And we can see, we've seen some stunning examples in modern times, haven't we, of gurus who have gone off the rails. And we've had an example here in Melbourne, I think, recently with that um, yoga uh, guru in um, Mount Eliza, I think it was, uh, who's, um, you know, uh, who's, what his, his behavior is being brought up in the press. So. And it's important that this uh, a guru is, is not something, we understand that guru is not something the Buddha encouraged, because always the Buddha's teaching, isn't it? It's about wisdom. Blind faith doesn't really have a part to play in the Buddha's teaching. It always has to be balanced with wisdom, understanding. And the point of, of a, a Kalyana Mitta is someone who can give guidance, you know, give us an example, as I said before, become a role model for us. Because often, you know, when we read these things in the suttas, you know, the words are one thing, you know, but the actual lived experience can be quite different. So, you know, for instance, we can read the word anger, and we just read anger, but when we see it <laughs> in life, we, we really get the full power of it. It's the same with metta. When you read the word metta, it's just a word, and those words we chanted from the metta sutta are words, but it's the feeling of metta, this incredible feeling of friendliness, of wishing well-being to oneself and others. This is what we're aiming at. So this is where they give guidance, and very much, particularly in a monastic uh, setting, Kalyanamitta, hello, Kalyanamitta is there, they teach in order to inspire, to to encourage, to, uh, and they give spiritual advice. That's what they do with their teaching. But there is another agenda with it, and this is the most important aspect of it actually, is what we call the training. And you might have seen that in the Itipiso, training, taming those that are. Uh, that are capable of training or taming. And this is going against our defilements, the negative aspects of our character, which everyone has that's not enlightened. And this, of course, is desire, uh, aversion, and delusion. We all have those, uh, those qualities 
uh, and uh, an enlightened being, of course, they, they uh, abandon all of those. They see through them. So this training is very important. Of course, a big part of the training is precepts, you know, it's a sila, the virtue. And this is something we take on individually. But it's very good if we see somebody who's an exponent of it, who's actually living it. <laughs> and that really can encourage us, actually. And they also, this is the hard bit, they can also, uh, if we have faith in that person, they can also point out things to us that uh, um, are failings in ourselves that would be good to know. And in the Dhammapada, people will know this, and the Buddha uh, mentions that uh, we should regard someone who points out our faults like someone who is uh, pointing out a treasure. But... He says, the next line down, it's the wise that are pointing out our faults, pointing out those things, those shortcomings in ourselves. It's not foolish people. Many people will criticize us, <laughs> put us down and so forth, but they may not be wise people. <laughs> and of course, uh, that's a very important consideration. So when we have this um, a faith in a, a Kalyanamitta, a spiritual friend, then we're open to them saying, look, you know, this area, you know, you could, you know, you could look at. And, and this means that we can develop, we can grow. Because we all, all of us need a mirror. <laughs> it's often easier for other people to see our shortcomings than ourselves, isn't it? And so this is what a spiritual friend does. They're a mirror. And some of them, you know, extraordinarily good mirrors, <laughs> like Ajahn Chah, for instance. This is the uh, Thai meditation master who passed away in 1992. And uh, he could mirror back things to people. So that would be really quite a teaching to them, just in his actions and everything, so that uh, they would soon get the message. <laughs> but it's important that we have that inspiration, as I say, from the teaching, in order that we undertake the training. And this is, the training is the hard work, really, <laughs> because our defilements are what give us the grief in life, what, make, what makes life difficult. And of course, there are many different types of Kalyanamittas, and I think it's good to be open to uh, seeing uh, many people, many different aspects of people in our lives as teaching us something. So of course, the Buddha and enlightened uh, monks and nuns, enlightened people, uh, they are the supreme uh, Kalyanamittas. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. And then there are Dhamma teachers who uh, may or may not be enlightened. That's a very important consideration. And um, But we can connect with them. Because sometimes people, they read the Buddha's teachings, the suttas, and they they can't quite connect to it because it's not a lived example. And uh, um, then they can meet a teacher who can explain it and who can, can give them uh, the meaning behind it. And so this is very important for us. And these days we're very lucky because we have the internet, like today, then YouTube um, and uh, Zoom. Zoom, of course, we're all Zoom these days. And uh, we have books and recordings, videos, all this sort of thing. And we can meet Kalyanamittas in, in this way. Um, and this is a, a source of uh, developing our practice by our connecting with a teacher. Because we 
we'll find, won't we? You know, some teachers we can really relate to, we can connect with. Other teachers, well, not so much. And it's those ones that we connect with that we can actually um, uh, develop our practice from. But of course, in a Buddhist context, you know, also our Kalyanamittas can be, you know, parents can be, our school teachers, you know, even friends, employers, ourselves. Sometimes we are, ultimately, we have to be our, our own Kalyanamitta, spiritual guide. But it's good when we have, you know, um, a very good, clear understanding of the path, of the Noble Eightfold Path, a very clear understanding of right view. Then we can really be a spiritual friend to ourselves. We have both the qualities of the foolish person and the wise person in us. They're both there. Uh, so we can develop them. So we have to eventually be you know, our own spiritual guides. And of course, for the Buddha, the first stage of enlightenment, this is a, a Sotapanna or Soan in Sinhala, that's when, the Buddha says, one becomes independent in his teachings. Independent in the sense that they now know for themselves experientially uh, what the path is. And they know, they've seen it for themselves. They don't need a guide, but of course, they can always benefit from a guide like the Buddha or someone that's further along that path. So that's when we become really independent. That's when we become, according to the Buddha, learners, seekers, <laughs> first age of enlightenment. Before that, we're not even learners. We're still in, we're in kindergarten. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's quite sobering when you think of it like that. But in, in many ways, life is teaching us. And uh, you can see, I know that uh, Ajahn Chah had this teaching, which I love, is that everything is teaching us. Everything is teaching us. And I often mention the story of Ajahn Jagaro, who was the founder of the Bodhinyana Buddhist Monastery, where Ajahn Brahm is. And uh, who was a teacher here and who disrobed in 95, I think it was. But he, when his early days in Thailand, his, he was uh, staying uh, with Ajahn Chah, and Ajahn Chah sent him to a monastery, a small monastery in the back of beyond. And he went, and um, there was no, there was very few monks, there wasn't a teacher there. And so when Ajahn Chah came for a visit, he complained, there's no teacher here, there's no teacher here. How can I, you know, develop? How can I grow? There's no Kalyanamitta. And he said, Ajahn Chah said, you've got six teachers here. And Ajahn Jagra, who said, what, six teachers? And he said, yes, you've got sight, smells, tastes, touches, and the mind. But he added then, you have to be a good student. <laughs> <laughs> to learn. You have to be a good student. So this is life is actually teaching us. And if we have that attitude, we can learn from a lot of people and learn, you know, good... I mean, most many people have good qualities that we can learn about, whether it be generosity, kindness. Um, sometimes people are amazingly patient. That can be something that is very good to have an example of it. Because today, of course, we're all in such a rush <laughs> to, to, to come across a patient person and see how they manage it, you know, how they embody it. That's very useful for us. So I was just going to mention, uh, uh, give a quotation from the Buddha about, oh yes, this is the point. So why are spiritual friends so important? Why do you think the Buddha 
emphasize spiritual friends so much. He's saying it's the whole of the holy life, not just a bit, <laughs> everything. So I'll, I'll give you the answer anyway. I'll give a quote from the Buddha. And he says, Monks, I do not see even a single thing that so causes unarisen wholesome qualities to arise and arisen unwholesome qualities to decline as good friendship, spiritual friendship. For one with uh, good friends or spiritual friends, unarisen unwholesome qualities arise and arisen unwholesome qualities decline. So this, of course, is you know the Buddha's definition of progress on this path. And this is how we can actually see in our lives whether we're growing in the path. It's not a matter of whether we've uh, our mindfulness is continuous or we've established that we've got jhanas or we've got this wisdom or that, this insight or that insight. It's whether this good qualities are growing in us or not. You know, this is a real, to me, the the real test, actually, of a practitioner. Because we won't be able to tell whether <laughs> necessarily they've got good meditation or insights. We won't know. But So one of the reasons that, that so Kalyanamitta is so important, the spiritual friend is so important, is that we are, even though most of us don't think this, we're conditioned, uh, affected by the company we keep. And this is, I mean, most people say, well, you know, to a degree, but we really do. We take up so much from those that we associate with. Um, and many of us think, you know, well, we're making up our own mind, you know, and uh, we choose and this sort of thing. But you see the power of advertising, for instance, so much for us choosing, all these fashions that we, we take on, all these sort of appearances that are now the, the current way to look, etc., uh, so we realize that there's a lot of brainwashing going on out there. This is a term Ajahn Brahm uses. It can be positive or negative. He uses it in a, a funny sense, but it is, it is uh, what's happening. We're actually being conditioned by the people we associate with, by the things we encounter on the media, wherever we, uh, uh, whatever we read and see. And we're being, of course, we've conditioned in this life very much by our parents, our schooling, uh, the culture we live in. It's very good if you, if you live in a different culture from the one that you are brought up in. It really makes you aware of how much of our conditioning comes from that culture. You know, how much the food we like and all these things, you know, come from our upbringing. So this is... This is very important for us to understand. That's why a spiritual friend is so important. You know, we're choosing uh, the con the sort of conditioning, the sort of views that we're going to take on board. And this is really important for developing the path. So, you know, for uh, for us, the the Buddha and his teachings are a conditioning that we are developing by understanding and by practicing. But very importantly, you know, for the uh, for us is that the Buddha says this is the way that we can develop, uh, become a stream enterer, the first stage of enlightenment. And one part of it is uh, yoniso manasikara, so that insight that goes back to the causes and conditions in situations, in mind, in this body. But also, very importantly, and this is one that Ajahn. Brahm emphasizes the words of another, Paratagosa. Uh, and uh, 
he often emphasized this has to this needs to be someone who has seen the Dhamma, a noble person, in order to transmit it. And it's like if we want to go somewhere, do we ask somebody who's never been there? <laughs> no, we ask someone who's been there. Usually we ask Google these days. <laughs> Don't we ask Google? Uh, but uh, Google's everywhere. So. But, so this is the point. You know, someone who has started on that path or travelled to the end of that path can tell us, can give us good directions. So this can actually um, speed up our development. And, and uh, as it were, then we can head in the right direction. Until we actually get to the first stage of enlightenment, we're wandering all over the place, <laughs> thinking this is the way, that is the way, this technique is the way, you know, that teacher is the way. Of course, the teacher is the Buddha. So these are the things that we see. And we see, you know, you can see it with your friends and you can see it in society. It's easier to see with other people. One of the big things that uh, parents worry about is the company their children keep. You know, and it is very, very true, you know, that the company we keep affects, you know, the, the way we develop. And, you, and I know for parents, they worry, you know, they worry that their children, if they have uh, bad uh, friends, friends who are taking them in a direction of, say, drugs, alcohol, all these sorts of things, they worry about that. And that's very, very important to, to, uh, to realize. We are affected by the people that we associate with. And in English, we have the saying, birds of a feather flock together. <laughs> and so it's good if we develop uh, friendships with people who have got virtue, who have got kindness, who have got good qualities, and uh, do not, you know, take up with people who may be fun to be with, but maybe not so, not so good. It's difficult when you're younger because, you know, your friends, the way you look at your friends is quite different. You're not so, uh, you know, you meet them, say, at school or at high school, university, wherever. And so you tend to go along with the group. We call this peer group pressure. So it's, uh, this can be something that we need to be a bit selective about. And even in the time of the Buddha, you can see that the various types of monks associated with particular types of monks. So, for instance, Devadatta, Venerable Devadatta, who was the, tried to kill the Buddha and uh, created a schism in the Sangha, there were certain monks who were, who were attracted to him, <laughs> and they were together. Then there were certain monks who had qualities like Venerable Ananda. Venerable Ananda was a very amiable, you know, very friendly sort of monk and good with people. And then there were certain monks who were translated, attract, attracted to Venerable Mahakasapa, and he was like this very austere, uh, very, very austere person. And they liked that style. They, they were attracted. Their characters were of a similar nature, actually. And Venerable Mahamogalana, of course, you know, a psychic powers, a very deep meditation. And Venerable Sariputta, people, uh, monks who were particularly uh, drawn to wisdom, to analytical approach to the Dhamma, they were drawn to him. So these spiritual friends, you know, are the ones that we can learn from and the ones that will help with our, as it were, reconditioning this mind <laughs> from its, uh, you know, its journey through many, countless, countless lives. 
And they, as I say, they give advice and they're a role model. And we develop faith and confidence. It's really important because, you know, we, faith is uh, not a word that people take too much, but confidence is. And um, it's so important because it's only what we have faith in, only what we have confidence in, that we'll develop energy to actually do, to put into practice. If we don't have confidence in something, if we don't have faith in something, we won't put it into practice. And of course, this is most crippling for ourselves. We don't have faith and confidence in ourselves. That's a really uh, a factor that can really um, affect our progress altogether. So this faith and confidence can come from a spiritual friend. And it gives us the energy to practice. And of course, that's to develop the Noble Eightfold Path. And I mentioned, of course, that uh, the uh, Buddha mentions that uh, the spiritual friend is the whole of the holy life, not half, whole. But I always like to ask people, what do you think the other half was? That Venerable said that, um, that a spiritual friend, a spiritual guide, was half the holy life. And the Buddha said, no, 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 Ananda, it is not so, it's the whole. So what's the other half that uh, Venerable Ananda was thinking of? Do you have any ideas? It's a good, I thought it was quite good, actually. I would, I sort of think, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, yes, Langdon, that's close to it. Energy, energy. This is what, what uh, Venerable Ananda was thinking of, you know, this really strong energy to practice, yeah. That's, that's, that's it. And then, so one of, the, one of the important things I was going to talk about, there's a few important things, is what qualities do we need to meet a spiritual friend? Often we look at the qualities of a spiritual friend, and I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. But what qualities do we need to meet a spiritual friend? And I think this is, it very much relates, doesn't it, to that uh, idea. You hear that saying, don't you? When the student is ready, the teacher will appear or appears. And that's actually true in life. When we are open to a situation, so see, we see things, we can come up, uh, come upon a situation where we see things completely differently and we can meet somebody that can help that process. So this is a, how do we have that readiness? How do we have that, uh, that readiness to meet a, a spiritual friend? I know one of the big <laughs> motivators for meeting a spiritual friend is usually, unfortunately, dukkha, <laughs> suffering in our life, difficulties in our lives. You know, and I, I know for myself, you know, when my father passed away, suddenly had a heart attack at uh, 66, I was just sitting on the bed giving a cup of tea to my mother and then poof, gone. And uh, that was a real shock to me, actually. It was a real shock. It was quite extraordinary because none of us were shocked to the whole family <laughs> at that time. But the result of that, and this happens quite common, uh, is a quite common experience for people after they've lost someone that's so central to their life, a lot of growth. And that's when I started, you know, becoming interested in Buddhism. And I had already been interested in Buddhism, but my commitment to it really uh, strengthened because I could see it's an example of old age sickness and death. And it, it, in, at a deep level, it told me what's important 
the mind, developing the mind. So that was a, dukkha's always a very good, <laughs> good motivator, not pleasant, but a good motivator for us. But of course, you know, one of the qualities we need uh, to meet uh, um, a spiritual friend is openness to learning. You may think that that's obvious, but I think we, we come with so many views and opinions uh, that oftentimes we're, we are like full up <laughs> with our views and opinions. So we can't, uh, you know, take anything new on board. So this is important. It, it doesn't mean we should be gullible. I think that's very important to say. We use our own wisdom, of course, but we have to have a certain openness and a certain, and the next quality, a certain humbleness that we may be able to learn something from this person. We may not, but we have this humbleness that we may. Because um, sometimes our pride, our sense of ourselves, doesn't allow us to to uh, be humble. We think we know the answers already. Um, but one of the one of the very good things about these Kalyana Mittas is they cut through a lot of those views by just being the way they are. And you you recognize this, but wow, they're different. <laughs> and that attracts you, no matter what your views are. You think, wow, they're different. And this is more on the intuitive, the feeling level, isn't it? So that's a, that cuts through a lot of that. But of course, another condition we need is that respect, and that comes from humbleness too. You know, respect the person's good qualities that they have. And particularly, you know, in a spiritual friend, their ethical qualities are very important. That's the base, the foundation. Do they have integrity or not? Um, are they... Uh, practicing what they preach. That's what we usually say, isn't it? Are they practicing what they preach? So, and also to be open to developing confidence and faith. You know, uh, this is a very, this is a, something that is a, encourages our growth. If we have that, the Buddha calls it an indriya, a faculty of confidence or faith, giving us the energy to develop wiriya, we call it, energy to practice. And of course, one of the big things that's important for meeting a Kalyanamitta is really an interest in finding out, interest in, in understanding things, having this sort of investigative mind. And for us, you know, our question is much more, is much, much more important, actually, even than the, the answer. So these are the questions that drive us in life can bring us to a Kalyanamitta, somebody that seems to be possibly, you know, able to help us with the question that's so important in our life, whatever that question is. And it's always, um, that's a motivating factor, and it's so important for our practice to have these questions and have that sincere interest in um, what we're experiencing in this body and mind. And to find out for ourselves. Because the Buddha's teaching is not about just believe in me and everything will be okay. <laughs> Sounds nice, doesn't it? Many people like that idea. But, of course, it's about direct experience for ourselves, really understanding for ourselves. So this is um, what the Buddha is encouraging. So when we have these qualities, uh, we are, as it were, ready to meet a Kalyanamitta. If we have experienced dukkha, we're open, we're humble, and we're respectful, we're ready to develop uh, faith and confidence, and we've got an interest, 
we've got questions that we are asking. So that's. A, but at the same time, as I mentioned, we shouldn't be gullible. And it's very important that we check up with Kalyana Mittas. Sometimes I think people feel, oh, it's um, you know, maybe bad karma <laughs> to actually check up on a teacher, you know, whether they are you know, worthy of being a Kalyana Mitta. But I always say to people, you know, the Buddha in, the, in his teachings, in the Majjhima he gave a whole teaching on how you can investigate himself whether the Buddha, the Tathagata, is really fully enlightened. He gives a whole sutta, a whole teaching. It's called the Inquirer or the Vimanksa Sutta. So you can see that you know the Buddha is encouraging it. So for other, t- other teachers, we can check up. And of course, how do we check up? And this is very important these days because we have the internet, we have YouTube, and there's a lot out there that is, I get um, I get these wonderful, somebody in Sri Lanka, they send me these videos every day, actually, of Buddha quotes, and 99% of them, fake. <laughs> Some of them good meaning. I thought good meaning. I thought, well, the Buddha might have thought that. Yes, he would agree with that. He wouldn't disagree with it, but fake. <laughs> so very important we check up with it. I haven't actually told her, you know, these are mainly fake, you know. <laughs> Buddha never said this. Because people, it's like product endorsement, you know. <laughs> people just put the Buddha's name on all these, whatever they want to sell, whatever they think's good. And some of them are, are quite dodgy, actually, you know, talking about God and all these sorts of things. And I thought, wow, Buddha would never have said that. So the Buddha encouraged us to check up using the, his teachings, using the teachings and also the discipline, you know, the precepts, the rules that we keep. And of course, before he passed into Parinibbana, passed away, he said to, in the Parinibbana Sutta, to check, you know, if somebody says this is the teaching of the Buddha, just check up with the existing teachings and the existing uh, uh, discipline. And of course, you know, the Buddha encourages us to look, to investigate in the Kalama Sutta, to, to investigate what is wholesome and what is unwholesome and what is the experience we have from that. You know, if we have these negative emotions arising of desire, aversion and delusion, what's the experience of that? Is pleasant, unpleasant? Is it beneficial, un- unbeneficial? Of course, you know, the negative, the unwholesome always is pretty unbeneficial, doesn't lead to happiness and well-being. So we use our experience too and our intuition uh, to... Um, to investigate um, whether a person, you know, whether it is actually leading to our benefit or not. We can tell that within ourselves. And so now I'd like to talk about how we can identify uh, a spiritual friend. And I'll give a, oh, give a lived example in a minute. This is a bit that I like the most, actually, because <laughs> uh, guess who? <laughs> I'll give... So a spiritual friend is anyone who is really on the spirit on the noble eightfold path, even if they haven't reached a stage of enlightenment. If they have a, uh, an understanding, they have developed qualities that we we find uh, um, we we need to develop. This can be helpful for us, and this is something Ayakima Ayakima used to emphasise. You know, we can learn from somebody that's practiced more. Um, has developed more peace in their their uh, lives, more kindness, more generosity. These these uh, qualities. But of course, the the Buddha is the the best example of the Kalyanamitta, isn't he? And the reason for that, 
you know, the highest sort of Kalyanamitta spiritual friend is someone, and this is what the Buddha said, who is free of greed, hatred and delusion, free of desire, aversion and uh, delusion. And he mentions this in the Dajaga Sutta, you know, that he has these qualities. And that sort of person is worthy of being a refuge. It's a spiritual friend, but someone you can really trust. Because you know, they're not going to be, um, uh, their behavior, their speech is not going to be undermined by desire, hatred, by fear, by delusion. It's not going to be there. They can be there for you 100%. So the Buddha is the, the best example for us. And, uh, and interestingly enough, you know, he says the reason for a Buddha or an Arahant to exist is just compassion because they've finished the job. <laughs> They're just waiting. They use this uh, phrase, waiting, like a worker waiting for their wages, that's all. That's, that's how they, they describe somebody who's enlightened in this life and they're waiting for the body and the mind to pass away. So the, the Munda said there were two reasons that he, um, he taught and that was to be an example just like a role model for future generations and also out of compassion for future generations. And he meditated. He, he didn't need to meditate, but he meditated as an example out of compassion. And he said it was also a pleasant abiding for him, you know, when he was meditating, very pleasant for him. And so the Buddha had this enormous compassion, not only on the level of the spiritual, he also did on the physical. Because we hear about... You know, uh, one time uh, the Buddha was uh, going around the, one of the monasteries, maybe Jetta one, with Venwa Ananda, and they came across a monk who had dysentery, so he was really, really sick, and nobody was looking after him. And so the, the Buddha and Venwa Ananda washed this monk and took care of him. And then the Buddha um, uh, called the Sangha together and said, why are you not looking after this monk? You do not have mothers and fathers in, uh, to look after you, families to look after you. You must look after uh, the, your brothers in the holy life or your sisters, if you're a nun, in the holy life. So he, he, he taught them that. And this was on a physical level too. So he, he was doing... Because one of the jobs of a teacher in the monastic tradition anyway is the spiritual welfare, but also the physical. <laughs> they've got to look after this, to make sure they've got enough food, clothes, medicine, etc. But there's a nice quote that I'll mention just before I get to the last section, where the Buddha says, and this is in that same, same sutra about uh, the holy life, being the, whole, the spiritual friend being the whole of the holy life. By relying upon me, this is a Buddha, as a good friend or a spiritual friend, Ananda, beings subject to birth, aging or old age, illness, death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, displeasure and despair are freed from them. It is in this way, Ananda, that a monk or nun who has a good friend, a good companion, a good comrade, develops and cultivates the Noble Eightfold Path. So this is what the the Buddha is, uh, as a spiritual friend, he's helping us develop the Noble Eightfold Path out of this enormous compassion. And so I thought I'd talk about a lived example of the seven qualities that uh, someone uh, that uh, someone to that qualify someone to be a spiritual friend. This is from a sutta 
in the, uh, what is it, the numerical discourses. This is the Anguttara Nikaya in the Book of the Sevens, of course, seven. And it's one of the suttas on a friend. It's sutta number 36 on a friend. And uh, here the bhikkhu, the um, Buddha mentions, monks, one should associate with a monk friend, or we could say for nuns, for nun friend, who possesses seven qualities. One should resort to him or her and attend on him or her, even if they dismiss you. What seven? And these are the seven qualities he mentions about a Kalyana Mitta. And these, they're quite interesting, actually, uh, listings. They may, may not be quite what you think, <laughs> what you'd think the qualities would be. And the first one, and uh, it's quite probably the order this is given in is usually important. You know, the first quality is very important. So here it says, this uh, uh, monk friend or nun friend should be a pleasing and agreeable, pleasing and agreeable. So I thought, who could I use for an example? <laughs> I thought, Ajahn Brahm. <laughs> so I thought I'd look at Ajahn Brahm as a spiritual friend. This is the part that I like the best, actually. And of course, I think most of you know Ajahn Brahm. Do you think he's pleasing and agreeable? I think that very few people would say, no, he's not pleasing, he's not agreeable. They may not like the jokes. <laughs> His character might, appeal, might not appeal to everyone. But it is important that they are pleasing and agreeable because this is what draws students to a teacher but also gives them a sense of safety and that the teacher has their interests at heart. And I know, you know, for me, with Ajahn Brahm, for instance, he, one of the things that is so attractive, so pleasing and agreeable, is his smile. Do you notice that? He's got a fantastic smile. Very rarely do you get, you can get... I see lots of pictures of myself and I think, wow. But his, his pictures with a smile, fantastic, really. I just connect with them very much. They're, they're wonderful. And they come from, for me, you know, one of the qualities I see in Ajahn Brahm is this naturalness. And I think the naturalness comes from mindfulness. You're here in the moment, just natural, simple, not, not uh, imposing a lot of concepts on the present moment. And that smile, that uh, is really, for me, is infectious. You know, it really transmits. So I have in, in my hut, I have one of the photos on uh, the coronavirus book, which is this great smile, I really like. And of course, for me, and I think most people, when somebody smiles, it puts you at ease. You feel safe. It feels good. And it's interesting that Ajahn Brahm himself mentions, why did he ordain in the Thai tradition? And his answer was, it's quite surprising, because when he went to the various temples in London, the Buddhist temples, you know, the Burmese, uh, Sri Lankan, and the Thai, probably others too, actually, um, he said, the Thai monks, they smiled the most. <laughs> so that's why he went, why he ordained in uh, in Thailand, and very, very fortunately for him too, he had that connection, obviously, with Ajahn Shah. But one of the things you see that's pleasing and agreeable to some, at least, is his humour. <laughs> his humour is a very, uh, is one of the strong qualities he has, and uh, it. If you notice with humour, if it connects with you, sometimes humour doesn't connect with you. Immediately, it, you relax. It changes the mind state that you may have. It cuts across so much stuff when you 
uh, connect with humour, especially if it's, you know, wholesome sort of humour and not too dark and negative. There's some very dark and negative sort of jokes and so on. That, um, but it really cuts through a lot of mind states. So it's a very skillful way to uh, get people's attention and to focus them here and now and to listen. But, of course, one of the other characteristics that's pleasing and agreeable, and I think most people would agree, very, very kind. His kindness is, is, is very, very strong. This is, of course, we say metta in uh, the Pali. We, we call it metta. And I, one of the aspects of that to me was a very strong, I see it over the years and years of knowing Ajahn Brahm, is this desire to serve, to help. And uh, it's such a strong quality in him. And this comes from that sense of taking care of people uh, and compassion. And he's so prepared to give time to people. And I remember a talk here that Venerable Chi Kuang Sunim gave. I think she was talking about Bodhisattvas. And she said, the best example of the Bodhisattva, Ajahn Brahm. <laughs> she said, I live, I live in a remote place, on a hill, you know, out of the way. But he gives 24-7 almost. He's incredible. He's got so much energy for it as well. And I think one, another quality that's very pleasing and agreeable is he's so optimistic and positive. You know, many people will find that very attractive. And uh, one thing we can see very much, and I think this is something you have to be wary of too, and I think people would agree, oodles of charisma. He's got just like a magnet. It's incredible. And I remember, actually, it was quite interesting. I remember in, because uh, uh, I was um, lived in Western Australia and I'd become a Buddhist in 1983 and I'd been exposed to Ajahn Jagro's teachings, Ajahn Brahm's teachings. And I was, I was very impressed with Ajahn Jagro's teachings, not Ajahn Brahm so much at that stage. And, uh, you know, he was, he was good, he was sort of fine. He wasn't the Ajahn Brahm we know today. And then... He came here to the Buddhist Society because I'd moved to Victoria in Melbourne in 1992, I think it was. And he came here in 93 and he gave this talk. I thought, my goodness, what's happened to him? He's got oodles of charisma. And what he was saying was really fascinating. He was talking about negative emotions. I thought, wow, what happened to him? So he developed these qualities, you know. So it's incredible. So this is part of, uh, you know, this charisma. It can be a dangerous thing too. Of course, you've got to watch out. There are a lot of people with charisma who are not necessarily virtuous. So very good. I better move along though. And um, the other, the second quality that the Buddha mentions, I might go through this briefly, is um, the person is respected. So this is a Kalyanamitta. In order to be a Kalyanamitta, they're a respected person. And of course, Ajahn Brahm has got a lot of respect for his sila, for his morality, his virtue. He's got a lot of respect for his meditation, particularly jhanas, and um, for his wisdom. And of course, one of the things they often said about the Buddha it was that he's respected by those who are worthy of respect. So like, he's the teacher's teacher, that saying, isn't it really? The Buddha is worthy of uh, the respect of those that are, that are respected. And of course, Ajahn Brahm is like that to many people who are teachers, who are uh, well-respected, respect him too. And the third quality is he's esteemed. 
It's a bit close to respected, isn't it, really esteemed? I found that hard to distinguish. And, of course, it's many of the same qualities, but particularly, you know, his understanding of the monks and nuns' discipline. This is called the Vinaya. Um, he's, he's actually like an expert on that from his early days. But particularly, he's esteemed for his meditation, isn't he? <laughs> His meditation and jhana practice is, is one of the things that he really teaches and encourages. And he mentions in talks, actually, that this started, you know, the teaching about jhanas, which is very well known these days, yeah, was inspired by Ayakema when she came to the, his monastery, Bodhinyana Monastery, in 1991, I think it was, and gave a talk on the jhanas at Bodhinyana Monastery. And she was really encouraging teaching the jhanas to people. And that inspired Ajahn Brahm actually to think, yeah, this is an important thing to teach. And so he, uh, he has uh, um, focused on that, a big part of his practice. And also he's esteemed, I would say, for his incredible de- dedication and energy. And that is a teaching in itself because he gives definitely his wholehearted... <laughs> I don't think people could say, could say otherwise. And he gives 100% to it, absolutely. And, of course, we see, you know, in, in a worldly sense, you know, the things that he has achieved in Western Australia, even here, actually, it's beginning to be obvious, building up the Buddhist Society of Western Australia, developing Bodhinyana Monastery. It was established by Ajahn Jagra, supporting the establishment, really inspiring at the Dhammasara Nuns Monastery in Western Australia, establishing Jhana Grove Meditation Centre just down the road from the monastery, and also being such an important teacher here, a guide here, an advisor here, spiritual advisor we call him. <laughs> so he's a Kalyanamitta. And uh, also supporting the development of Newbury Buddhist Monastery in a big way, big way. The fourth quality... There we are, important call. The fourth quality that uh, uh, a Kalyanamitta should have is they should be a speaker. And this is someone who can really communicate and for sure, who is very good at Ajahn. Ajahn Brahm is a really gifted communicator, so quick-witted. He can come back with a one-liner just straight away. He's amazing. And they're very often very funny, always memorable, usually memorable and often wise. So so in, he's very, as a speaker, he engages the audience. They, they're they not going to drift off. I, in uh, Sri Lanka, we often have the phenomena at Bunners that people, they'll listen to a, a Dhamma teaching within, within moments. You get a very restful time. <laughs> very restful time. But I don't think, I never see that with Ajahn Brahm. And he really needs that humour on a Friday night when he gives his talks on Friday nights. That's more the introductory type of talks for people new to Buddhism. But it's also when people are so tired. I see them, you know, and they think, God, they're really tired. They'll drop off at the, you know, during the meditation, they probably drop off a lot <laughs> and then wake up a bit after it. But he, the humour really keeps them going, actually. So he... He can, give, he can speak at different levels for different people. And sometimes I think people who only listen to those Friday night talks might think that's well, it's very you know, superficial or whatever. But he gives that deeper teachings at the monastery and on retreats. And most people here have probably been, heard some of those teachings. So I was going to give you an example of his, uh, 
I spent a day with him in Colombo when he was visiting in 2014. It was a posampoya, a very important day in Sri Lanka. And I couldn't believe what he could do in a day. It was amazing and different for different occasions. You know, like he gave him a talk to some CEOs. Hardly a Buddhist term in there because they were a mixed group, you know, Muslims, Christians and so on. And yet, and then uh, he'd given a TV talk, he'd given uh, before that, which would have been on the Buddhist channel, so it was very, you know, it was, uh, it was a lot of Buddhist terminology, very Buddhist context. And then in the afternoon, he did more TV uh, uh, interviews, and then he went to a very major temple, Dhammayatana in Maharagama, Maharagama where they have, say, 50,000 people, and that is a Sunday school, Sunday Dhamma school going on. So he goes there and he talks, to, and they said, can you speak to the, the kids? And so he goes there and he talks to them about cricket and everything. And then he goes next door and gives this big Dhamma teaching to thousands, because this place, as I say, can get up to 50,000 people. It's just amazing to watch him, you know, uh, teach. I was, because we hardly ever see that because the monks at the monastery, because he doesn't travel with it. We don't travel with him. Because he says, if he travels with any of the monks, he has to look after them <laughs> as well as himself. <laughs> so probably true. <laughs> so very good. And the number five, we're getting towards the end, actually. It's about time. He patiently, or this person patiently endures being spoken to. And I think Ajahn Brahms had a good deal of that. And, of course, he, he often receives criticism because he's such a public figure. Some people like him, some people won't. Some people may disagree with his uh, teachings on Dhamma and so on. And of course, you know, he had a lot of flack, you might say, over the bhikkhuni ordinations in 2009. Did he ever? But I, I'm very impressed with him because he doesn't hold on to the resentment. At least he says he would be happy for some of those uh, people who were criticizing him at that time to come to the monastery. He has no problem. I'd like to see if that worked out in reality, you know, but that's what he says, so that's great. So it's important for all of us that we don't hang on to these uh, negative uh, criticisms that we can endure. This is like Kanti, we can endure being, you know, being criticized. It's really being spoken about and, uh, negatively in a personal sense. That's what really challenges us. <laughs> so that's number Five. And number six is he gives, uh, or the person, and monk or a nun, gives deep talks. And I think most people would not find that hard to believe with Ajahn Brahm. He gives outstanding talks on jhanas, anatta particularly, non-self, on emptiness, dependent origination. Uh, this is Paticca Samuppada, stages of awakening. So I mean, it's very, you know, his deep teachings are incredibly satisfying for people who are ready for them. For beginners, maybe too deep. <laughs> but he's got the Friday night talks for the, the beginners, so that's good. And the seventh quality, where I'll finish off, and this is very important for a spiritual friend, and this is one of the ways we can check up too on, a, on somebody if they are really a spiritual friend. They do not encourage one to do what is wrong. So if you find some of these gurus... Um, encouraging sexual relationships with that guru in particular and so on, you can think, no, <laughs> this is not somebody who is encouraging me to do, this is someone who is encouraging me to do something which is wrong. And so Ajahn Brahm is a very good example of someone who doesn't encourage that. He encourages a lot of independent thinking, actually, in the monastery. It's one of the things I really like about Ajahn Brahm, that he never, some teachers, 
It's very much, they'll say, my way or the highway. If you don't like what I do, just go. <laughs> He's never like that, which is wonderful, and to have that openness. And he never says, you have to practice my technique, or, you know, forget about it, why bother to be here? He never says that. And I know as a young monk, I, I practiced a lot of different techniques and investigated, tried them on for size, and that was very valuable. So he's really very open, but he's a good example to us, actually, of um, somebody who is, has got good uh, morality, good virtue. Um, and he's not only teaching it as, you know, teaching it, he's actually an example of it. He's living it. So this is so important. Sometimes uh, teachers can say one thing and do another. And of course, and the Buddha mentions in his teaching, this is like somebody who is benefiting others, but not themselves, <laughs> because they're not practicing what they preach. But the other thing he teaches us, of course, very big time, actually, is right view. And of course, the important part of right view for me is just knowing good from bad knowing where that good and bad are coming from. It sounds so elementary, but if you read the news, if you look at the world, I don't think people know <laughs> what is good and bad. So this is so important for the path. And even though we've had a lot of disharmony over the bhikkhuni ordination, he's one that stresses and emphasizes harmony in the Sangha, harmony in the Buddhist community and harmony in the wider community. He really does. It's a big emphasis. And so I'd like to finish with the summary the Buddha gives on that sutta of the seven qualities that qualify a person to be a Kalyanamitta. And it's in uh, he or she is dear, respected and esteemed, a speaker and one who endures speech they give deep Dhamma talks and do not in, uh, encourage one to do what is wrong. The person here in whom these qualities are found is a friend, benevolent and compassionate. Even if one is dismissed by them, one desiring a friend should resort to such a person. So that's lovely, isn't it? It's a very nice uh, conclusion, nice verse at the end of it. So this is important quality is, you know, the spiritual friend. And as I said, there are many different spiritual friends in our lives. Appreciating the good qualities in those we meet can be like a teaching for us, can be helpful for us. But of course, you know, in the end, we, the, the, the best spiritual friend, of course, one who's on the path. And that's a difficult thing to, to, to meet someone like that. But um, we can investigate and see if they have those qualities and, and then uh, we may develop faith, then we may develop the energy, then we may put it into practice in terms of our morality, sila, precepts, then we may develop mindfulness and then we may develop samadhi, the mind coming together, and we may develop wisdom. So this is a very important aspect of the Buddhist path, the whole of the spiritual life this Kalyanamitta, but we have to choose wisely. <laughs> so thank you for listening, and now there's just a brief amount of time. Sorry for going going over there, but had a lot to say. It's a, it's a very important subject, and I enjoyed the last bit particularly, <laughs> talking about Ajahn Brahm. Because this year, I don't know if you know, it's his uh, 70th uh, birthday this year, so it's a big year.
Are there any questions in the hall? When's the lunch? <laughs> it's coming soon. <laughs> there are a few online questions All right. we can Langley. go to yes, if no one else. Yes. I just wanted to read out a comment from someone, first of all, that just oh, said, Ajahn Brahm is also brave. Fearlessness is a glaring quality of an arahant. Oh, what a good good one. That's great. He's right. He is very brave. It's a bravery born of samadhi, though, I think. That single-mindedness gives one strength. It's very easy. Easier. Thank you, Ajahn. I'll read the questions first that relate to the topic of today. Yep. So... Uh, there's a question: Do you choose your spiritual friends, or do they just, or do they just show up when you are ready? Ah, that's a good question, isn't it? I think it's a bit of a combination, isn't it? Really, you you really only uh, choose a spiritual friend when you're ready. <laughs> you know, you have to have that readiness. The mind has to be ready for it, whatever that condition is that's given rise to that readiness, dukkha. Um, you know, a, a burning question in our lives, some uh, some aspect that's really bringing up big, big questions. So then we're ready. Yeah, we won't meet a spiritual friend until we're ready. Really, that's it. Otherwise, we'll think we'll meet them and we'll think, oh yeah, they're all right, <laughs> nice, okay. But it won't won't mean that much to one. We're not we're not ready for it at that Once time. You are not ready, you can't see them. Exactly, you can't see them. No, no, they'll just think, wow, that's. You know, just, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> so thank you for that. I hope that was, I hope it wasn't too. I think that answers the question. Also, the next one that's also similar on the same topic of how do I make a spiritual friend, but I think that's really what the topic of the talk was about, about was about yeah. being ready. Being ready. And practicing yeah, your own qualities. Yeah. Not being gullible, though, that's important. Um, so there are a couple of other questions which are just not related directly to the topic, but mm. can Christians, Muslims and other non-Buddhists mm. follow the Eightfold Path while still remaining as they are in the religious sense? Uh-uh. And if so, does it mean that non-Buddhists can attain liberation? Right. Um, well, the Buddha said, he was asked, wasn't he, in the Parinibbana Sutta, I think it was by Subhadda, the last... Uh, um, monk he ordained actually just before he passed away isn't it amazing working right up to the last moment um, he was asked you know uh, is, um, is it possible for uh, others in different traditions to become enlightened and the Buddha replied as I remember it is possible for anyone who practices the Noble Eightfold Path to become enlightened to awaken so that is the condition regardless of what background they've come from if they practice that then that will take them to enlightenment um, I'm not quite sure how they'll mesh with right view that's the only thing I find difficult but you know maybe they, in some way they can reconcile uh, some of the uh, aspects of right view because there's no place for a god in there as such in right view <laughs> but maybe they can if they practice it the Buddha said yes yeah, possible to become enlightened that's the path Thank you, Ajahn. And the last question here is, um, I meditate lying down. Sometimes gentle pulsing blue waves of light become visible. But sometimes I fall out of mental clarity. I'm wondering how to deepen my meditation at this point. Right, right. If... 
Ah, yes, in that case, you know, I think uh, developing mental clarity, um, if you, if there may be a reason for doing um, lying down meditation, some people find that physically they need to, um, but another way to, to develop clarity, of course, change the posture, obviously, you know, to sit, sit or walk if that's possible, uh, and that will create more energy in the body. Um, we're more likely to um, be more wakeful because I know for myself, lie down and, um, you know, the body thinks, the mind thinks, well, time for sleep. <laughs> but the, the point with uh, lying down meditation is that we use a posture, uh, a lying posture that we don't use for sleep. So if you sleep on your back, then if you lie down, lie down. Uh, if you're meditating, just to lie on the side because it's less associated with sleeping. But changing the posture would be very uh, a good way of doing it. You know, and uh, uh, sometimes taking a deep breath can bring one back to the present moment, increase clarity in the mind, reduce thinking. So there are possibilities. Yeah, so good. Yeah, thank you. So I think we, that's the last question. So thank you very much for listening to this online and uh, in person. Isn't it nice? We can do it in person. And may you develop... um, uh, these connections for Kalyanamitta and, and also to appreciate the Kalyanamittas that are already in our lives <laughs> that we don't appreciate uh, and, and because they have qualities that we can learn from. So thank you very much. There we are. And now we can finish off by paying respects to the, those who like to, to the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha. So there we are.